So let's begin reading in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, beginning in verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain." Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you and that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Well, I found it interesting with the unfolding of the events this week and the situations that have happened with the, with the violence, particularly with uh, George Floyd and then the violence that has resulted because of that. The reason I find it interesting is because, well, one, I had a hard time getting my mind off it throughout the week as I've seen these things unfold and see people do damage to other people that even people that would agree with them, people that are on the same side. And in our study of Exodus, what we're coming up to is the law. God brings His chosen people. He delivers them out from Egypt and brings them out into the wilderness. And He's going to begin to dwell with them. It's just about to the point where He's going to start having them make His tent. Right, Because they're all living in tents out in the wilderness and God is going to have them make Him a tent and He's going to be living right smack in the middle of Israel and He's going to be dwelling with them. But before we get to making His tent, He gives them the law. Now, it makes a lot of sense if you look back at it and you think for the last 400 years of their nation, they've spent it within another nation as slaves. And if you take them now, all out now and bring them out into the wilderness, and now all of a sudden you're free, you get to self-govern, what is going to happen? Well, I think a lot of things can happen, and a lot of them aren't that good. Probably a two to three million people that are out in the desert now, and they got to live. they got to learn what it's like to live together, and, and God is going to have them learn what it's like to live together as His people, to live with Him and under Him. And the very first thing He gives them is law. 
where He's going to go through and He's going to tell them how you're going to behave as My children. And it's volitional. He calls them to enter into it. If you look back into chapter 19, He says, you know what I've done for you as you left Egypt? If you believe in Me, obey My commands, then you're going to be My special people. You're going to be like a nation of priests to Me. Remember, God had promised Abraham that He's going to reach out to the entire world through Abraham's descendants. These are His descendants. And God says, you are going to be a nation of priests to Me, a peculiar people. And so, what what is a... What does he mean by that? What is Their job is to be different and be used by God to reach out to the world that is around them. That's how he's going to bring that blessing. That's how he's going to bring the Messiah. That's how Jesus Christ is eventually going to come in, is going to be through this. And they said, absolutely. Everything you want us to do, we're going to do. And so God begins to detail for them what it means to be in his family. What are the rules of the house? What are the rules of living with God? I'm sure it's the same in your house as it is in mine. My house, there's only my mom and dad, myself, and my sister. And you know what? Myself and my sister needed some refereeing at times. We butted heads. We didn't always get along. I had five kids. And in my five kids, we had three boys first and then two girls. And we needed some refereeing to be done amongst the siblings there. Well, if you expand that out to three million people, you're going to have some conflicts as you try to live together in the wilderness. So God is going to detail to Moses how to handle these conflicts. As you look at the entire law, it's going to have lots of commands and lots of practical helps on on what to do with different situations. And so the gift that God gives His people at that time is the law. And you know what? The law is exactly that. It's a gift from God. The law is what God gives us to make sure that we all get justice. That somebody can't just come and trample upon you. Take your life. Take your possessions. Destroy your home. Destroy your business. That they can't do that and get away with it. That there will be consequences. That there will be a price that has to be paid. That there will be restitution involved in those things. And that's what the law does. It's there to protect you. And I know that right now in different places in our country, there's people gathering together there and even flying in from outside the areas to to stir things up to rally against the law. The law is a gift to, to us. Think of what our communities might potentially be without the law. We need the law. George Floyd experienced a horrendous thing. There's no doubt about it. I, I, like everybody else, was saddened when I saw the video and my heart broke as I watched that thing happen. And I hope that they get to the bottom of this investigation find out exactly what happened and that the justice takes place. I really do. But I also want justice to take place on all those other people down there that are losing right now, that are, that are having their, their lives damaged and hurt, and their jobs lost because their place of work has been destroyed. And, and do you know what? If anything is going to restore it, do you know what's going to do it? Law. It's not through anarchy that we can live peaceably. It's only through law. It's when we have those protections in place. We've seen it over and over again from society after society all through history. That's why we have the law still engaged in our community. It's to protect people. And that's what God is doing with Moses and that's what God is doing with the Israelites back at this time is He's putting in place His law. He's saying, look, these are the rules of my house. This is how my children are going to behave toward one another. The first thing I want to 
look at as we look at the situation is the context. You see, there's, a, there's always a context. The first part of the context is, is that we're still living outside the garden. What do I mean by that? Mankind was first made in the Garden of Eden. God built this garden, created man, put him in the Garden of Eden, and it was perfect. One tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden was put there for a test. Don't eat that fruit. Other than that, the whole garden was perfect. They had all the food that they could ever imagine. And there wasn't even thorns or thistles or weeds yet to grow up and choke things out. So gardening was easy. Work was light. They walked with God, it says, in the cool of the evenings, and they talked with God. So they had unbroken fellowship with God, a unity between Adam and Eve, as he declared, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She is me. So they had a unity in their marital relationship, which all changed when they brought sin into the world. They had this awesome setup in the Garden of Eden. But they blew it. And what happened when they blew it? Goodbye unity. I hear God coming. Let's hide. Why? Because now we're afraid because we've blown it. God comes to Adam and says, Adam, what did you do? He says, Eve's fault. And so there goes the marital unity. And, and so all of it begins to break down. And the last part of that, what do we see? God says, okay, get out. No more walking in the cool of the day with God. Our sin has separated us from God. No more just... Just leisurely picking fruit as you're hungry. (laughs) You're going to earn it by the sweat of your brow, the Bible says. And so here goes all the harmony, all the unity. Welcome brokenness. Welcome dysfunction. And that's exactly what we see in the context of God giving the law. Why do we need law? If we all just naturally did the things that were good, if we all just naturally treated everybody else the same way we want them to treat us, and I'll guarantee all those people breaking windows down there don't want anybody breaking their windows. Those people carrying off big screen TVs don't want anybody carrying off their TV. If we all just naturally did the things that we want done to ourselves, to other people, there would be no need for law. There would be no reason for law. But we live in a very broken world where injustices happen and these things occur and we need the law. Not only in our relationship with one another, in our relationship with God. In chapter 19, it's very clear that we're still living outside the garden. God calls out to Moses and says, Moses, I'm going to come down among you. So you better get ready. And what does it mean to get ready? Three days. Three days of consecrating yourself. Putting away anything, any sin, anything that's unclean. Cleansing yourself. Setting yourself aside for God. Getting ready to meet with God. And then what happens? God's going to come down on the mountain and He's going to let those people hear Him. He's going to let people see the the dark cloud and the fire that's going to come down on the mountain. But they don't get to come up. Moses gets to go up. Aaron's going to get to go up. They don't get to come up. And they're okay with that. They don't want to come up because they're, they're scared. They see the awesomeness of God and the holiness of God and they're like, They recognize their own sinfulness and they say, we're going to die if we see Him face to face. And so they don't want to go up on that mountain. And God tells Moses, put a perimeter around the bottom of the mountain. No person, no animal touches that mountain while God's on it. Why? Because God in our condition is unapproachable. Because He's so holy and just and good and we are so sinful. And He's going to bring Moses up on the mountain and He's going to say, okay, now... Go back down and warn the people. This is really... You see the mercy of God in this because God says, I don't want those people to die. If they touch the mountain, they're going to die. Go back down and tell them again. Go down and tell them, don't touch the mountain. Moses says, no need. 
We put up the perimeter. Like you said, we told them, you touch it, you die. They're not going to touch the mountain. God says, get back down there and tell them, don't touch the mountain. Because He just, he just doesn't, he doesn't want them to, to cross that line. And they don't appear at that time cross that line. And so the point is, there's no just direct access to God. The people have to get it from Moses and Aaron who go to God. And it's already continuing to draw that picture that we've talked about with Christ. You cannot go directly to God. It's only through Christ that you're going to God. You know, when we pray, we often say, in Jesus' name I pray it, Amen. That is not just a formula for the end of a prayer. What I'm acknowledging when I say that is I recognize that the only reason that I have the throne of God, the only reason that I have the mercy of God that allows me to come in with confidence, the Bible tells us we can go in boldly, We know we have a hearing with God, but the only reason that I do is because Jesus Christ is my high priest. Because He laid down His life on that cross for me. He died for me. He rose again from the dead to take victory over sin and death in my life. And it's only because of my relationship with Him that I have complete access to God. When Jesus died on that cross, the veil that covered the door into God's presence, the Holy of Holies, was ripped. In other words, the door was swung wide open. So now we all have access to God, but only through Jesus Christ. So as we look at our context here, what do we see? At the time of the giving of the law, they're still outside the garden. They're still living in that broken world. Well, secondly, in the context, we see that the law is given after their deliverance. This is important. The, the order of events here is significant. Because remember, God already saved them. He already saved them from the slavery that was in Egypt. Now He's going to give them the law. By keeping the law, they're not going to accomplish their deliverance. Their deliverance is already done. The reason we really need to pay attention to this is because we have a tendency of wanting to earn our own way. And so since God gave us these rules, we sometimes feel like, well, if I just keep these rules then I'm okay with God. Then I'm right with God. You're not. And the reason you're not is because you've already broken the rules. Is is there anybody in here that can raise their hand and say they've never taken the Lord's name in vain, used it in an empty way? I'm going to keep mine down while I ask this question, I guess. Is Is there really anybody in here that has never violated that command to honor father or mother in a response to authority? Never coveted other people's stuff? When Jesus came around, He says, if you're just going by, I didn't kill anybody, you're missing the point. You ever hated anybody? You ever been angry with somebody without a cause? Now you're getting the point. But you see, the law is given after deliverance. God saved them. And what did He require of Israel when He saved them? Nothing. They just had to trust Him. When He said, pack up and follow, follow. That's all they had to do. God came in and He delivered His people and now He's giving them the law. You see, the law didn't have anything to do with saving those people. The law had to do with God outlining for them how to live now that you are delivered. Now that you have been set free from your slavery and your bondage. You know what? Without the law, they would have gone back into that kind of bondage. And the Bible points this out over and over again when it's talking about our salvation. In Romans chapter 3, verse 28, he says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's not by keeping the rules that we, be, that we are justified before God. Jesus Christ justifies us before God. We just trust Him. 
Galatians also tells us the same thing. It says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In Galatians chapter 3, even takes it up a notch. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. You realize that? For the first part of my life, I always thought, well, if you get to God by believing that He exists, which I did that, I believe that He exists, and uh, there was always that and, and being good. But He says, actually, if you're believing that, you're under the curse. You're under the curse if you think, i got to keep the rules to be justified before God, to, get, to experience salvation, to be able to go to heaven. I gotta, I'm under a curse for believing that. Yes, and and he explains it. He says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He says, this is why you're cursed if you think you're going to get to God by keeping the law. Because you're trusting in the very thing that condemns you. If you're trusting in the law, if you're thinking, if I can keep the Ten Commandments, then I'll get to God. You are trusting in the very thing that condemns you. In every place where you broke the law, the law points that out. I heard somebody describe it one time as the law is that straight edge that shows us how crooked we are. Well, that's, that's exactly what the law does. It's, it doesn't show you where you do well. It shows you where you fail. I ran this stop sign out here the other day. I have stopped for that stop sign every time for a long time, lots of years. Yesterday, I was thinking about something else. I drove right through it. Uh, my Holy Spirit, Lisa, pointed out to me, you just, went through a, you just went through a stop sign. I said, oh, man, I did. You're right. Well, can't, I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> you know? and, I, and I kept on going. See, my point is, if an officer was sitting there at the corner and I stop at the stop sign, he's not going to stop me and say, hey, good job, even though maybe he should. <laughs> That's not the purpose of the law. But if he sees me blow right through that stop sign, he is going to come up and say, you blew it. And then if I go to court and say, I'm sticking by this law because you know how many stop signs I've stopped at in my life? The judge is going to say, you are up the wrong tree. That is the very thing that condemns you. Did you stop at that stop sign that time? Well, no, but there's no buts. That's the thing that condemns you. And that's exactly what we do when we try to justify ourselves by, hey, I've been a good person. Hey, I've kept the laws. I've done. You're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Why? Because you've broken those laws. In fact, James tells us if you've broken one law, you've broken all of them because the law is one unit. It is the law. And so it doesn't matter whether you broke it in this instance or this instance. The fact is you broke the law. So if you're clinging to the law that this is what's going to get me into heaven, it's exactly what's going to keep you out of heaven. The only way to God is through faith in Jesus Christ because He took our curse that was on us, the curse that we have under the law, He took it upon Himself and He became a curse for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. God delivered those people, then He taught them the law. He did not bring them the law in order to deliver them. They were already delivered. Well, not only do we have the context of the giving of the law, that these people are still outside the outside of the garden, that it's after their deliverance, after they've been saved, but also we see the structure of the law. The first four of the commands deal with our relationship with God. 
And the last six of the commands deal with our horizontal relationships. In other words, our relationships with one another. The first four, talking about not having any other gods before Him, no graven images, don't take His name in vain, keep the Sabbath holy. Those things are all between you and God. The last six, honor your father and mother, don't kill anybody, don't take their stuff, don't lie about them. Don't covet their their things. Those govern our horizontal relationships with one another. So the structure of this really boils down to one thing, one principle, and it's love. It's love. If you think he wants some cold, static, legalistic relationship with his people, you're missing the whole point. God is saying, look, with me as your God, this is how you love me. You don't turn to a golden calf and say, you're what brought us out of Egypt after I made you. You worship God for who He is. You don't try to make images that resemble Him. If you look up to Deuteronomy and find why God says, don't make any images of me, it's because He had just got done telling them, you don't know what I look like. You have never seen me. So whatever image you make, it's going to be wrong. So just worship me. Don't use my name in vain. I would never use my wife's name as a curse word. I would never use my children's names as a curse word. I'd never use a friend's name as a curse word or in an empty way. But people will use God's name as a curse word. I've told the kids in release time and stuff, I'd rather you use the F word than use God's name in vain in a light way. I don't see a place in here where it says God will not hold you guiltless if you use the F word. I do see it with His name. God is saying, look, show me you love me. How do you love me? By obeying my commandments, worshiping me only. Don't make any carved images because they'll be wrong. They'll lead you astray. Don't use my name in that way. You can't love me and use my name in that way. It's to love God. The same thing holds true when we look at our horizontal relationships. If I love you, I'm not going to kill you. Hello? If I love you, I'm not going to take your stuff. If I love you, I'm not going to lie about you. If I love you, I'm not going to covet your stuff. I'm just going to be happy you have it. I can't love you and destroy you or your things at the same time. It just doesn't work. And that's exactly what we see in Scripture. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses will give the people their greatest command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, he says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's exactly what Jesus pointed out when He was approached by a a lawyer. The lawyer comes and asks Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You realize if we love God rightly and we love one another rightly, we actually would have no use for the law. Because we'd never break it. We'd always be doing the right thing by God and the right thing by other people. It all boils down to this one principle of love. And that is the foundation the structure of the Ten Commandments. God says, I'm going to teach you how to love me. I'm going to teach you how to love each other. And that's the family we're going to have as we're in this wilderness. Well, then lastly, I want to point out the purpose of the law. What is the purpose of the law? The Apostle Paul in Galatians even says, well, why then the law? Why, what, what, what's its point? To do this, we're going to break it down. We've got to break it down into about three sections. Because the law, obviously, there's some differences in it when it's given. 
throughout the history of the church, they've recognized these three differences. Sometimes people try to hold the two, but usually, most commonly, three differences in the different kinds of laws that God gives. And that is that some of the laws are moral. They're just an, uh, an explanation of God's character. To do this is just the right thing to do. To not murder somebody, that's just the right thing to do. To tell the truth, it's just the right thing to do. But then there's an other section of the law, which is what we call ceremonial. The priesthood, the holidays that they have, the sacrifices that they offer. These things are ceremonies, and they, they describe the worship of Israel. And the purpose of those is to point to Christ. They're a picture back in the past of what Christ is going to do in the future from that point. And they're a picture of what Christ has done. These are the things that Christ has fulfilled. Actually, Christ has fulfilled the whole thing. If you look at it, He came and He lived that moral life. And then He laid down His life as our high priest and as our sacrifice. And so He fulfilled the ceremonial part of the law. And then the last part of the law is what we call civil. In other words, they're just rules that God gave Israel to protect Israel until the coming of the Messiah. God wanted Israel to stay unique. In fact, in chapter 19, verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. He wanted them to be unique among the nations of the world, to stand out as different, and to be this nation of priests. And so some of Israel's laws were given to them specifically as a nation just to keep them unique. And those are the laws like don't eat shellfish. The different dietary laws and things that came into play. Those were there primarily just to keep Israel different from the other countries around them so that they just wouldn't be kind of melded into all the other countries. So they'd stay unique as God's people until the coming of the Messiah. And so there's probably a little bit different purpose for each of the sections of the law. And there's also a difference in how they apply or whether they change. For example, the moral part of the law isn't going to change. Because those things are just, they're just the right thing to do. They're based on the character of God. The ceremonial part of the law changes. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. Why? Because Christ finally offered that sacrifice. He was the once and for all sacrifice, bringing all that to an end, because all that just pictured Him. And then the civil aspect, well, Israel can continue to live by those civil uh, laws, if they want to, they were given specifically to Israel to protect them. But when we see the Apostle Paul taking some of those things, what do they throw out? They throw out like the dietary things. They throw out the, the special holidays. They tell the Gentiles, you guys don't have to keep the, the Sabbath. You guys don't have to keep these different things that were given to Israel. These different feasts. And so some of those things change. But whereas the moral commands, New Testament continues to tell us, don't kill, don't lie, don't covet continues to hold strong to those moral aspects. So as we look through them real quickly, the purpose of the law is, first of all, moral. It shows us the holiness of God and also the sinfulness of mankind. In Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law just establishes our guilt. It's through the seeing of the law that we realize we have sinned. You know what would happen if you didn't have that? You would make God to be somebody like you. He would be okay with everything you're okay with. Rather, we need to become like Him. 
In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul makes it a little more personal. He says, what then shall we say, that the law is sin? He says, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. It's very natural for us to sin. We won't even question it. Except for the law standing up saying, hey, don't do that. It's wrong. In fact, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 13, he says that through the command... We get to see sin for what it is, which is exceedingly sinful. Otherwise, we would not recognize the darkness that we would ourselves be living in. So the goal in the law is to show us the holiness of God in contrast to the sinfulness of man. Well, then also there's the ceremonial uh, aspect of the law, and this is fulfilled in Christ. The civil part is to protect Israel till the coming of the Messiah. So that's what God gave us in that gift of the law. He gave it because we're, no longer, we're not in the garden anymore. We need the law to help us to straighten out issues between one another. We need the law because it shows us how to love God and to love one another.